Welcome to Let It Roll, Tales from the Tour Bus, where the podcast about how and why popular music happens takes a break to talk about our favorite animated music history show from Mike Judge with hosts Nate Wilcox and Justin Bankston. Be sure and subscribe to the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podomatic, and check out our website at letitrollpodcast.com. You can now follow us on Twitter at Let It Rollcast, and we'd love to hear what you think. So don't be shy about tweeting at us or commenting on our website. This week, Nate and Justin talk about the eighth episode of Tales from the Tour Bus featuring Blaze Foley, a lesser-known artist who's receiving posthumous attention. Tales from the Tour Bus can be viewed on Amazon.com if you subscribe to Cinemax. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. Time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, joined once again by Justin Bankston to continue our series about Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus. Today we're wrapping up season one, Blaze Foley. Justin, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hello, hello. So, Blaze Foley, like I remember when the series came out and I'm looking at the episodes and I'm like, Johnny Paycheck, cool. George Jones, of course. Tammy Wynette, definitely. Waylon Jennings, for sure. Blaze Foley? And now we know who Blaze Foley is. Were you surprised by the inclusion of Blaze Foley in this roster of immortals? I was surprised. And honestly, I was more surprised after watching the episode than I was before I watched the episode. Do tell. Well, I just feel like, I mean, we've just been through some heavy, heavy stuff, watching these shows, seen a lot of exceedingly interesting stuff about a lot of just magnificently large personalities. And this one, you know, I think maybe it was intended as sort of like, you know, an easy come down, but it's, it's really, there's so little to tell about this guy compared to everything that we've just come through watching the rest of the season. Uh, and it's, I, I just, it leaves me scratching my head. I just like you, I was scratching my head before, I watched the episode and then I enjoyed the episode very much, but afterwards I'm still just wondering like, is, is this really the guy that we needed to talk about in this last episode? It seems pretty clear that what the thinking was, was that they would cover all these country greats. And then in the last episode of the season, they would cover somebody that they felt to be an undersung hero. And they did it again in the funk season, which I hope we'll get to. Um, with Miles Davis's Mrs., whose name I'm blanking on, which is embarrassing. But so, I mean, if you look at it that way, I'm willing to to buy in. Like, you know, they're going to do eight episodes a season. Seven of those are going to be about heroes that we know and love and, or hate. And one of those is going to be about somebody that we don't know as well as we should. And, you know, if that's what the creators want to do, I'm willing to, to give them that benefit of the doubt. I get that. I, and I, I absolutely buy into that, though. An argument could absolutely be made that that episode already happened with Billy Joe Shaver. Perhaps, perhaps. But I mean, I've been hearing about Billy Joe Shaver and hearing his music for a long, long time. And you don't have to be that big a country head to be like, who's Billy Joe Shaver? Well, he wrote, you know, Honky Tonk Heroes, the whole album. Um, so, you know, I mean, Billy Joe Shaver is somebody who retired pretty comfortably on his songwriting royalties, which is not something you can say about Blaze Foley. So, 
you know. But Absolutely. I, 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 I get your point. But so the, the basic I part, I, I'm just saying I can walk down my street and knock on three doors and ask the first three people who answered if they could tell me the name of a Billy Joe Shaver song and none of them would be able to. Entirely correct. But you could probably also tell them, ask them, you know, uh, what's Tales from the Tour Bus and get completely blank stares. Ask if they have Cinemax. <laughs> nothing. Right. But they would all know who George Jones is. One hopes. One hopes. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take anything for granted. Anything. So the basic plot summary is that this is the tale of Blaze Foley, who's biggest claim to fame before this episode and the movie that Ethan Hawke made about him that came out last year um, was that he was Towns Van Sant's running buddy. They never wrote songs together, but they played and sang together and uh, died a martyr's death in Austin in the late 80s. But otherwise, I mean, completely obscure. Some of his really didn't have any records come out in his lifetime. Had a few records come out in the 90s. Um, But if you're into Blaze Foley, it's truly a golden age because Spotify's got him, Google Play's got him. There's tons of it on YouTube. You can get it on Amazon. They've released virtually every tape uh, that they have found on Blaze. So he's out there. His music's being heard and his story's being told. And it is it is interesting. I think I think you're onto something when you talk about the basic thinness of the narrative. And and I think one can tell that. Uh, you, that the that they had to struggle to put this episode together is the sheer number of people that are uh, they interviewed i mean in in some of these episodes you know you have four five six six people that are speaking on camera this episode alone by my count you've got like 12 or 14 people and most of them saying making very brief comments about blaze yeah that they kicked his ass once or that you know they saw him asleep under a pool table yeah and and that gets into the whole degradation of his life i mean this is a guy who was a hardcore alcoholic who was homeless all the way until like two three weeks before he died when he finally got his first royalty check when merle haggard covered one of his songs and he was able to rent a room uh, in south austin back when that was not quite the luxury living that it is today um I mean, this 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 guy did some hard living, and you know, I was looking at the reviews on Amazon of the Blaze movie, and a few people point out that you know, like romanticizing drunks is not necessarily a good thing. It just leads encourages more people to go down that path. And I mean, the path of Blaze Foley was somebody who refused to get a day job ever, who wouldn't cooperate with the music industry in any way, shape, or form. Um, did sign a couple of contracts, did record uh, a couple albums, but basically did everything he could to sabotage himself. And, you know, watching this with my wife, who was raised by South Austin hippies with artistic aspirations, I mean, you could definitely, I could feel her hackles going up during this episode. I mean, if, if you've had to endure somebody else's self-indulgence, even if they're talented, which Blaze was, um, that's a hard road to go down. Absolutely. And it also, you know, speaking as, as just a fan in the future, you know, it, he didn't do the work so that we could all get to enjoy the fruits of his talent. You know what I mean? He squandered it almost entirely. And so now we're just picking through old tapes and 
you know, poorly recorded live recordings at the Austin House and stuff to try and talk about like what a talented guy this dude was because he didn't he didn't have it together enough to put to to, to create a body of work for us to enjoy and talk about. It's true. Although having listened to the album that he recorded in Muscle Shoals, which has the full on sort of wanting to be Firefall or Poco kind of soft rock 70s country stylings in the background. It makes me kind of happy that he didn't because the live recording at the Austin Outhouse with just Blaze and his acoustic guitar and somebody on harmonica works for me just fine. And I don't know that a bunch of 70s and 80s overproduced country stuff would really have delivered the goods. It's just a lot like Towns Van Zandt's body of work. I mean, you know, Towns put in the work... But the, the difference albums, is the songs. How many songs, how many classic Towns Van Zandt songs are there? You know, dozens. 20 something. Yeah. And there's yeah. two classic Blaze songs, you know, arguably. Yeah. So th- that, that to me is really the difference. It's not like how many records he made. It's like how many songs that he finished that he documented that then we got to hear and, and for them to be part, become part of the, the canon, you know what I mean? And he's got a song in the canon. That's huge. I would never play that down. I mean, that's a massive accomplishment, but it just seems like there could have been so much more. Yeah. Hard to argue, hard to argue that, that he blew it. I mean, you know, it's the classic, uh, American outlaw tale, uh, you know, except with no happy ending. They, they structure all these episodes such that, that, sort of material and commercial success is the happy ending. They did it with George Jones and really had to stretch. It wasn't such a stretch with Waylon, although Waylon's real happy ending was that, you know, the people around him loved him and supported him. And with Blaze, the version of a happy ending is Merle Haggard recovers one one of his songs and he gets one royalty check and is able to rent his own room. I mean, you know, that's stretching it. Um, but I mean, the basic the basic story is that this is a dude who came from Arkansas, was sort of a dork yokel. He, he, one of his songs is called "Fat Boy." They talk about when he was a kid. You know, he he would eat butter by the stick and really self conscious. Came from Arkansas. Talked to a guy who uh, worked with him growing up and and sort of remade himself as a as a country singer and coming to Austin and really. I think he's more of an Americana singer than a country singer, although that category wasn't really defined at the time. But he and Towns Van Zandt were definitely on the cutting edge of creating that style um, and doing it in Austin, which is definitive, you know, the place to do it, especially in the 80s. And, Absolutely. and he, go ahead, yeah. I, just, I was just agreeing with you. Ah. <laughs> Music to my ears. <laughs> but, you know, he's living on the margins. At one point, he's sleeping under a pool table at the Austin Outhouse. And, and you know, there's sort of a poignant story that one of the guests tells of, you know, every time somebody racked a ball and, and, it, and it went in, Blaze would wake up enough to crack his head on the pool table and then settle back down until the next ball lands. He was also, uh, you know, running a scam where he would uh, approach performers with a guitar. It turns out it was a borrowed guitar. He would try to sell the guitar. Uh, Kinky Friedman's one of the people he tried to sell a guitar to. And they even have Kinky Friedman in here as a guest. And I assume they recorded at the same time they recorded his bits for Billy Joe Shaver and Waylon Jennings. And, and unlike 
those stories, you know, Kinky, basically all Kinky has to add to this is, I don't remember the dude. Um, you know, everybody else, none of the other characters cross over. I mean, nobody, all these people on the margins of the music scene, you got people like Harold Edgar Eggers, who was, you know, would be manager who arranged the Muscle Shoals sessions. You've got the incredibly named Gurf Morlicks, who was a country singer songwriter who knew who knew Blaze, and uh, you know you got uh, Janine Van Zandt, who was Towns Van Zandt's widow, telling this story. You got people from the uh, Kerrville Folk Festival, including Rod Kennedy, who's the guy that uh, you alluded to, who was spat on by Blaze and and beat his ass, and and you know which is a feat because Blaze was a behemoth, six foot five. They called him the, the nicest asshole you'd ever want to meet. And scary looking, you know, even scared the bikers. And that whole dichotomy of the very threatening looking redneck goon that they also call him in the show and the gentle singer songwriter, I think, is at the, at the fundamental. That's that nexus is the, the core of Blaze's appeal. And, and his widow, Sybil Rosen, talks about that, like when she brought him home to meet her nice middle class Jewish parents. You know, they were they were terrified and appalled. Her mother immediately takes to the bedroom in tears. Blaze sits down on the couch and starts playing and singing, and the parents come slowly back out, and, and they're charmed. But if they had known the kind of hell that, that he was going to put their daughter through, they might not have been so charmed. Yeah, and I will say again that... <clears throat> Those all these stories that you're telling about the pool table and about him coming to meet his parents or her parents and all that are again just so beautifully told with the animation. It just really draws you into the story <clears throat> in a way that you know reading it on paper definitely wouldn't, you know, or just the regular talking heads wouldn't. It's just really uh, beautifully done. Absolutely, and that's the difference I think between this series and so many music documentaries. I mean, there there's a uh, uh, a, a documentary about um, Blaze called Duct Tape Messiah that's been out for a long time, and and it really suffers from that quality of talking heads on videotape. And uh, this episode, with the beautiful animation and the Mike Judge timing and wit, um, it really does come together as a very entertaining and compelling story, and it makes the most of his music, which is really pretty limited. I mean, they do... Um, six songs on the on the soundtrack for this episode but three of them are repeats of if i only could fly one of which is merle haggard's version which i mean you can tell well merle, why merle haggard is merle haggard and blaze foley is blaze foley when you compare them i mean merle's version is it's better it's 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 an incredible it's a beautiful song and blaze's version is is thoroughly good but you know it, it's and I think he was a better singer than, say, Billy Joe Shaver. I, I think there's a there's less of a leap between Blaze's material and and Merle doing it than there was between Billy Joe and Waylon. The difference is Billy Joe wrote a whole oeuvre, a whole body of work, um, multiple albums, whereas Blaze, you know, going through his material over the last couple of weeks, getting ready for this episode, you could probably boil the best songs off of all the stuff into one short album. Yeah. And, you know, they open up with clay pigeons. They actually play that one twice. They do his song fat boy. Um, and then three versions of, if I could only fly and then springtime in Uganda, which 
is only included because it's essential to him being banned from the Kerrville Folk Festival. And it's pretty silly stuff. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a joke song about cannibalism because Idi Amin. It was a topical song at the time because Idi Amin, the dictator of Uganda, was frequently accused of cannibalism. And I can't place the melody in that. I can't name it, but it's a it's a recycled melody. Um, but it managed to get Rod Kennedy to ban him for life from the Carvel Folk Festival, which cues up one of the funnier stories, which is Blaze Foley and Drag trying to sneak into the Carvel Folk Festival. And this is a guy who's like six five and and a goon, so uh, with a giant which, mustache. Yes, yes, and uh, you know, and then and then the, the 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 structure of the episode. I mean, you know, they introduce Blaze. They they let you hear him sing once again. Excellent song selection and, and video selection on on Judge and the team's part. That you immediately are sold on this guy. That that he's at least worth paying attention to for thirty minutes. And then they they run through the guitar selling scam, uh, and then introduce Sybil, meet her parents, tell that story, and then they tell this great anecdote. Uh, about finding a grave for Towns Van Zant, and and it's told by um, Leland Waddell, who's uh, claims to have been a drummer uh, on the scene. But um, and there's some just unbelievable vintage footage from about 20 years ago of Waddell talking about the miracle of cooking meth and how he discovered it, and and you know it's got really nothing to do with the episode except that it paints a picture of the kind of decadence that Blaze and Towns were wrapped up in, and it's just fucking hilarious. It was really funny, and it was funny that that was that was that guy's bona fides. Like, that's you know, that's that was, he lays out his qualifications, and it's that when he met a guy that could cook meth, he didn't let him out of his sight until he could also cook meth. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> and and just the sheer enthusiasm of which he speaks about discovering that you can make your own meth. I mean, it really is seeing somebody who's found God. I mean, this this was this dude's nirvana, you know, like just can't believe his good fortune that not only does this stuff exist and he gets to take it sometimes, but wow, you mean I could make this for myself and have it anytime I want? I mean you know, uh, but they, they tell this tale about hanging out towns and blaze and, and Waddell and they're drinking Kamchatka vodka, which I have personally had some run-ins with. The stuff is hot garbage uh, the cheapest vodka known to man. And exactly what you think would think that towns Van Zandt and blaze Foley would be drinking and, and towns announces he's not going to be living long. And they start looking for a gravesite for him. They go to the Texas State uh, Cemetery and see all the governors and signers of the Texas Declaration of Independence and some, you know survivors of the Battle of San Jacinto, et cetera, et cetera. And they immediately realize Towns isn't going to fit in in that kind of company. They go to Denny's, drink some more, and find a graveyard right in the parking lot. Um, do you know where this is? I assume it's the Denny's that's just south of MLK just east of the highway and there is a graveyard back there. Yep. And, uh, and so thank you for that little bit of Austin, uh, geography. And, and I just assumed that was that Denny's, Denny's way. I didn't know there was a graveyard back there. And, and 
Towns is passed out drunk, and they drag him around looking for graves, find the place that they think would be fitting, and leave him there for dead. Uh, fortunately, he wasn't dead at that point. Um, and I don't know. It, it's... It's a terrific story. It is. It's a classic Towns Van Zandt story. If you've seen the documentaries about Towns, uh, it's very... This definitely echoes that strongly, and you know, it it paints a vivid picture of of these wastrels who are burning up their talent on on cheap vodka and having these comical picaresque misadventures. Um, and then you know, tells the story. Towns' uh, widow Janine Van Zant talks about how uh, Blaze bought a car had had a place as a place to live, but then he makes a mistake of loaning it to her. She claims that she was driving uh, the thing, and it's a it's a green wood paneled station wagon. She's driving it down the road. The same exact car is coming the other way and s- crosses over in front of him and wrecked and totaled the car. And she's crying and calling herself a home wrecker because she wrecked his home. And then it talks a little bit about um, you know his his. Uh, and then he gets to move into play to Towns Van Zant's couch, gets a permanent status with the key, which if you're if you've ever couch served, that is you know that's the gold standard when you've got a key to a place with a couch and you can go there anytime. And then they they talk to um, some of the people who tried to Harold Eggers and some of the other people who tried to get him to record songs and and he talks about you know how difficult uh, it was to get Blaze to sign a contract. Um, Send him to New York City. Uh, Kinky Friedman is once again brought in to deny everything. Um, Blaze was he at the Chelsea Hotel? As uh, as you know, goes on an epic bender of meth and booze in New York City and fucks it all up. And then and then we come to the the denouement with the sad story of how he he had adopted an elderly black man named Concho January, which is just an excellent name and outstanding. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, spent some time in jail because he'd been brawling with the guy's son. And according to blaze, as, as we get the story through hearsay, the kid was coming around when the old man would get his social security checks and want to steal the checks so he could spend it on heroin. And blaze was trying to protect his friend and, and beat the guy up a few times. And, and that's who ends up shooting him and, and he dies. So, you know that gives it this sort of aura of martyrdom, and and you know it's hard not to like Blaze. I mean, that's you know what big tough guys are supposed to do is protect the weak and helpless. But um, you know, ultimately, he wasn't able to protect him, wasn't able to protect himself, and and gets snuffed in a pretty pointless incident. And and it talks about the trial, the acquittal of the whole thing. Um, I don't know thoughts on that episode. Yeah, it was, you know, like I said at the beginning, I felt like there just wasn't a whole lot of story here uh, because the story of a real talented guy who doesn't do much uh, except drink himself into bad situations is just, you know, there's just not a lot that that you haven't heard before. Yeah, you just haven't heard it about this guy because you've never heard about Blaze Foley before. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So, what's what's your favorite part of the episode? The, definitely the graveyard story, uh, just because 
it's just pure shenanigans and uh you know it sounds it sounds like a fun time yeah if you're into that kind of thing which i've been a few times (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) never hardcore enough to party with towns fans and though and i I do want to say though i think another aspect of this is that this is the story of Blaze Foley, but it's also a way to get Towns Van Zant into um, the series. And when you bring Towns Van Zant, that sort of you're sort of getting the Flatlanders, Joe Ely and Jimmy Del Gilmore and Gene Clark and all these kind of guys that that are classic Austin Americana alt country people. And if you were in Austin in the 80s at all, that was a huge part of the scene. It was a part of the scene I was personally rebelling against, but, um, you know, nationally it was very undersung. And it it definitely was part of what created the mystique of Austin and and caused things like South by Southwest and ACL and the current uh, unstoppable real estate explosion in Austin. So I think there's a little bit more – significance there because of Towns Van Zandt and his, his undoubted artistic uh, and commercial success as a songwriter. Um, and yeah, I got to go. I got to go with the same thing that it was, it was definitely the Towns Van Zandt story and also Leland Waddell's uh, riff on, on meth. I mean, that bit is so hilarious. It's horrifying. Um, if you've ever dealt with a meth head, uh, you know, but yeah. it's, fucking hilarious at the same time yeah, and the glee that you can make your own it's like a kid who finds out they can make their own cake <laughs> exactly i mean you know it's it's the classic you know 12 year old discovers masturbation kind of miracle um <laughs> that that you know some of us have been lucky to experience a couple times in our lives what about the music what was your favorite song i mean for me i i honestly like clay pigeons a little more than if i could only fly both of them are really beautiful songs. And I, in all my complaining about Blaze, I don't want to underplay how great these few great songs that he wrote are. Uh, and Clay Pigeons, I just, I don't know, something about that song just really gets to me. Yeah, that's the one they open with and, and play twice. And it's, it is an excellent song. I, I probably would go with If I Could Only Fly just based on that's the one I always have stuck in my head after I listen to Blaze Foley record and watch this episode. Um, and it's, and it's a, it's a humdinger of a tune and, you know, not many of us write a, a song that gets covered. And, and um, I don't know that you could say that's really made its way into the country repertoire, but I know I've heard it at the broken spoke a few times being covered. And, and um, you know, if you play and sing, it's, it's a good one to learn. It's a good tune. And so the funniest part is obviously going to, we've already discussed, is our favorite part as well. Any, any other funnies that, that you'd want to throw in? I thought that the home record line was really good from Janine. Yes, yes. And the whole bit about the, the doppelganger green station wagons, um, you know, that's a classic exactly. Texas tale. <laughs> 70s Texas tale. Uh, and then what's the saddest part of the story? I mean, just uh, that, that we're not talking about more of his songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, the whole episode is just sad. His life was sad. Um, what he did to the people that were in his life and the people that loved him, and the people that tried to help him was sad. Uh, his martyrdom was sad. Um, you know, the whole thing, as entertaining as it was, I think the whole thing sort of leaves 
and and using this as the end of the series um it was definitely a sad thing and, and when we talk about the funk series i think we'll, we'll talk about that as well I, I i at this point i really don't feel like mike judge is endorsing music as as a way of life for everybody you know i mean he's definitely yeah. um pointing out that this is a hard road to go down and there's definitely going to be price to pay and blaze foley and, and the people that let him definitely paid that price so for sure like and you see like, like best case scenario like you could be george jones and it's still going to be essentially a nightmare uh or you could be blaze foley and it'll be a nightmare and you'll be poor yeah, I mean, at the end with George Jones, you you're poor in the end anyway. You know, even though all that money <laughs> poured through your fingers, uh, and there's a you know much deeper CD collection to go with it, and a lot of people that you made happy, but ultimately, uh, you know, you're bringing misery to the people that you love best. And I don't know. I mean, these guys probably would have been alcoholics no matter what they'd been and what their aspirations were. So that's kind of the big big question: is is it? Uh, you know, should we be angry that they didn't make the most of their talent or should we be thankful that they made anything of their talent, that, they, that this talent existed and that, and that we're able to enjoy it just for, you know, a few minutes. I mean, I've definitely, uh, since seeing this episode, I've enjoyed going through Blaze's discography and, and it's, it's, uh, you know, I feel like he's enhanced my life a little bit, but then again, you know, it's just casual 21st century entertainment and, when I think about Sybil and, and his friends and, and, you know, all the people that were hurt by the havoc of his addictions and toxicity, you know, you wonder if it was all worth it. Indeed. So what's our recommended listen? Did you go back through Blaze's uh, discography much? I did. And, you know, there just isn't a whole lot of it as we've been talking about. And I think you've got on your list the, the important stuff. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like Live with Austin Outhouse is is the best document. And um, I also think that this episode kind of lets everybody experience kind of the fun of finding one of these dark-starred characters whose work takes some effort. And, and in 2019, it's not quite as fun as it was in the 90s when you'd have to go to Antones and, and you know, try to trade tapes with people and look for bootlegs and go to the record convention and stuff. I mean, because it's all fucking there. Boom. You know, get on Google play music and, and this entire discography is there. However, uh, it's, it's pretty enjoyable. Live at the Austin outhouse is just him on a stool with playing his guitar and singing somebody next to him playing harmonica. There's some crowd noise, but the fidelity is really good and the songs are good. The performances are good. And, you know, unlike a lot of these people that that have a lot of hype, but not a, not a very popular discography, dude can sing. Like it, it's not somebody where you know he's going to wear you out because because he's you know just a songwriter and not not a good singer. Perfectly pleasant to listen to, I found, and a real good picker as well. And I then uh, yeah, and then uh, the Dog Ears is collections of early tapes. Sound quality is a little rougher, but it's uh. uh it's young blaze and it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. Um, and it's a, it's a, there's a couple songs that overlap, but it's basically a different album. Um, and that's good stuff. And sitting by the road is also pretty good. That's the album that with the really bizarre hand drawn, uh, cover, 
that they show in the episode. Um, those, those are solid. Um, I was pretty disappointed by the Muscle Shoals sessions, and I can only imagine if I'd spent years trying to track that down and spent you know hundreds of dollars on it, uh, that how bummed I would be because it really does sound like you know seventies Poco or something like that with Blaze on top of it, just total mismatch. And it reminds me some of Towns Van Zandt stuff when they when they had the string section and they're trying to turn him into Jimmy Webb in the late sixties and and you know um, so it's a little frustrating, but. Honestly, I feel like that Blaze Foley's best stuff is pretty comparable to Towns Van Zandt's stuff. I mean, for a lot of Towns, I personally prefer the cover versions to um, the originals just because the the inappropriate arrangements on so many of his albums. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. Having labored at music for many years myself and come up with nothing, you know, this guy's got two, three albums that are enjoyable. That's, that's a pretty good accomplishment. Indeed. And so, uh, so how do we feel like this, this caps the whole thing? I mean, do you agree with my point that maybe Mike judge is using this as a cautionary tale? I think that does make sense. I think, you know, of all the people that you mentioned that in that Austin singer songwriter thing, you know, blaze is sort of like the, the black sheep of that group of misfits. So the fact that he chose, you know, him, I think might have something to do with just, you know, sort of painting that, that dark underbelly of, of the whole process. For sure. And then you don't have to get into, you know, things like Joe Ely's failed new wave album or, you know, joking Carrasco's entire existence. I mean, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those, and that's unfair to Joe King. I, he had a good album, and, and I enjoyed him live a few times. But yeah, I mean, um, I, I think I think it's a very Austin story. And Mike Judge has lived in Austin for decades, and so I, I appreciate the shout out, and, and I like the sort of good feeling. I don't know if you remember uh, the movie American Splendor that came out 15 years ago or whatever about the guy in Cleveland, Harvey Picard that had the comic book and, and that he you know worked as a mail clerk all day and, and, he, and he made a comic book and he was on David Letterman a few times and, and they made a movie about the guy. And basically the whole movie, I'm feeling like, wow, this is this guy, Harvey Picard that I've been reading his comic books for 20 years and he's being played by Paul Giamatti. It's, it feels really good, you know? And it was sort of that same feeling of seeing somebody that uh, never got much love or respect in his life, uh, getting some posthumous accolades and, and maybe it's an empty, empty afterglow. I mean, but it, it definitely is the sort of thing that gives, gives the viewer the warm fuzzies and, and makes you sort of like Mike judge that he went out of his way to, do a whole episode about Blaze Foley, somebody you've never heard about. Yeah, for sure. Sort of give give the underdog some. Yep. And they don't get much more under than Blaze Foley. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So any final thoughts, Justin? Uh, just that it has been just this whole series. I enjoyed it so much. And then going back and digging into it more to do uh, – these conversations with you on the podcast has just been super fun because it's such a great show. And as someone who's, excuse me, a big fan of just music documentary content in general, this is just such 
this is just top shelf stuff. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, part of the reason I wanted to do this is I just felt like not enough people have seen this series. Not that anybody's listening to our podcast, but, but, uh, I, I I hope more people discover this series and watch it because you know Mike Judge is an incredibly talented storyteller. Animation is such a great way to tell stories, and they're doing the work and doing the the reporting. I mean, you know, you look at the 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 cast on this episode, you got fifteen people. I mean, they must have done more interviews than that, you know. So they really put in the work and they really did the research. They really know their music. They love their music. They love people and and they're honest. Uh, or at least seeming honest, you know, they, they, they're giving these warts and all portrayals and sharing music and their love of music and, and laughs and, and giving you something to think about and, and a little bit of sadness. So I hope you'll return Justin and we can do the funk series as well. Absolutely. Awesome. So absolutely something to look forward to. We'll be laying these out and then, uh, intermix this will be our fifth season of let it roll or has been our fifth season let it roll and uh our sixth season we'll come back with more justin bankston and tales from the tour bus thanks justin thank you be sure and subscribe to the let it roll podcast on itunes soundcloud or podomatic and check out our website at letitrollpodcast.com You can also follow us on Twitter at Let It Rollcast. Come back next Monday when Mark Blake returns to talk Pink Floyd and come back next Thursday as Nate and Justin will be back to talk more Tales from the Tour Bus with an interview with show writer Jeff Fierzig. Tales from the Tour Bus can be viewed on Amazon.com if you subscribe to Cinemax. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.